It is now super easy to sponsor Follow Friday. If you or your company wants to advertise in this space, go to followfridaypodcast.com slash advertise. Individual ad spots start at just $30 and special offers are available. Rates and availability are subject to change. For the most up-to-date information, visit followfridaypodcast.com. Today is a good day to meet some new friends. Hey. Everyone make a way. The show is a buffet of folks you should know. Hey. So let's have a swirl. Well, that's enough for a place. So now, right away, with no further delay. It's not a Friday. It's not a Friday. It's not a Friday. I'm Eric Johnson. Welcome to Follow Friday, a show about the best people on the internet and why you should follow them. If you're new to the show, welcome. Every week I talk to the internet creators I admire most about who they follow online. These include podcasters, writers, comedians, musicians, and more. They have amazing taste and will guide us to the people they find fascinating who we should be following too. Today on the show is Nick Kwa, the editor of Hot Pod, which is an email newsletter about podcasting. For people like me who work in the podcast industry, Hot Pod is required reading, which is why it has more than 20,000 readers. Nick started Hot Pod just a month after the first season of Serial came out, and since then, he and the other writers who contribute to Hot Pod have chronicled this incredible boom in podcasting. You can find Hot Pod at hotpodnews.com, and Nick on Twitter at nwquah. And you can follow along with us today. Every person Nick recommends will be linked in the show notes and in the transcript at followfridaypodcast.com. Nick, welcome to Follow Friday. Hey, hey. Pleasure to be here. So I was telling you before we uh, turned on the mics that in my head, you are Kermit the Frog because that is your your avatar on Twitter. You said you get that a lot from people? I do get that a lot from people. And I think it's more of a reflection that uh, I don't get out very much. I don't see people very much. <laughs> <laughs> In addition to Hot Pod, you write a newsletter for Vulture called 1.5 Speed, where you share podcast recommendations. You're really immersed in this world. As I said, you have been for years, and so I'm sure you've heard every type of show that's out there. But is there any podcast that comes to mind that you were surprised to find that you really liked, something you weren't expecting to like? Oh, my God. Um, okay, this is this ties into a little bit of my sort of like process of making these picks. Uh, because I feel like this choice might get me uh, in trouble or canceled or something. <laughs> <laughs> I've been listening a lot to this show called How Long Gone, which is... Uh, How Long Gone? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what best way to describe it uh, other than like two white dudes who are kind of, you know, talking about brands and, and, and shit like that. It's it's kind of an asshole podcast, but um, <laughs> it's a really bro podcast. Uh, but for some reason... It, it's like hitting the vibe just right uh, as we move deeper into spring. <laughs> <laughs> we, we all need our guilty pleasures. All right, well, let's find out who Nick Qua follows online. It's Final Friday. So, Nick, before the show, I gave you a list of categories, and I asked you to tell me four people you follow who fit in those categories. Your first pick is in the category Someone Who Inspires You, and you said Justin Chang, the film critic at the LA Times. He's on Twitter at Justin C. Chang. And in my head, I can only hear the words Justin Chang in Terry Gross's voice. Right. But uh, he he also (laughs) contributes to the NPR show Fresh Air. But talk about why Justin is such a good critic and why he inspires you. 
Yeah, I mean, okay, so th- this is kind of a, a pretty the classic story of like, there's not a ton of, I think, Asian American, like prominent Asian Americans in, in media, much less criticism. And like, I do podcast criticism, like, basically as a side job, but it's really the part of the stuff that I do that I'm um, sort of really kind of perplexed by. And I, 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 I put a lot of sort of value and sort of social sort of value in that. And there are many uh, sort of examples of of like <laughs> leading Asian American kind of folks in in a criticism space that like I, I can look up to and kind of try to map as a model. But Justin Chang, I think in particular, I, I find his career fascinating. I find his sort of like industriousness fascinating. Um, obviously, I, I first encountered him uh, as the critic on, on Fresh Air, and I kind of go like, you know, I I would love to to understand how to how he does things and. And sort of use that as a as a north star for the way I work, but I, I think the thing that really draws me to his work is that he's not a pretentious writer. He he's actually pretty a workaday kind of critic, which is a style that I like. I feel like when I when I first started getting my feet wet in the media space, I read a lot of you know stuff like the you know New Yorker or the New York Times and and the criticism over there. Um, it's very heady. It's very it's. <laughs> It's very sort of, uh, for lack of a better word, elite. And that's that's kind of, you know, for a number of reasons, a, a kind of uh, aesthetic that I'm not able to really replicate <laughs> or like, or, or I don't really feel like I fit in that world. And I I really love his writing. And also he's funny as hell on Twitter. Like he's he's kind of dorky and dad-like on, on Twitter, which is also just like, yeah, you know, I, I like that energy in my in my feed. Yeah, so is that how you mainly discover things that Justin has reviewed? Is following him on Twitter, or do you do you like seek it out on the website, or I guess maybe just in general when you're following critics of uh, you know the critics you like? How, how do you get their work? Yeah, actually, um, I don't know how representative this is, but like I feel this is actually pretty old school. I I still actively like go to somebody's like website or I go to a news publication and I like seek out that person's name. And yeah, I, I follow a couple of critics pretty closely and I just go straight to to the website. You know, of course, like I follow them on Twitter. And so whenever they write something new, it pops up in my feed. I'll click on it. But, you know, I'm, I'm slightly atypical. I have a, <laughs> I have a very specific slice of my week where I sit down and read all the criticism that I've like saved the pocket. It's like Friday evenings between uh, four to five. And I just sort of sit down and, and like, you know, have saved up across the week and just plow through basically. So, I mean, Hollywood in general and film criticism, you know, still very overwhelmingly white for the most part. And, uh, you know, this is something that I was talking about a couple weeks ago with Devendra Hardwar when he was on Follow Friday. He was saying that Parasite winning Best Picture at the Oscars last year, that really was a big deal for the future of representation for what movies are going to get made, what's going to get financed. You know, as someone who is paying attention to representation and who is noticing the fact that there is this imbalance right now, uh, how do you feel about just the state of things in the industry right now? Do you, do you agree with what Devendra was, was saying there that, you know, we maybe are making some progress in the right direction? First of all, uh, shout out to Devendra. Like I've been listening to the Slash Filmcast for years and years and years with him and, and David Chen. Uh, I consider our critics show. in my in, in the bracket that I read and listen to and consume and think about. I have two sort of minds on this. On the one hand, within a specific framework of like representation as it relates to uh, economic opportunity and sort of creative opportunity in Hollywood. Yeah, from a very sort of brass taxes, from a very sort of base level. The fact that Parasite won, and again, it's an international, like quote unquote, international, mm-hmm. like quote unquote, foreign film. Right. So it's a it's a little bit of uh, of an insurgency almost. 
But that kind of stuff kind of creates spaces within like meetings in Hollywood, sort of power spaces where to kind of go like, oh, that film of Asian people and, and <laughs> like one, maybe we should like, get a green light more and, and put more bets on this on, on this category because that's kind of how the machine thinking kind of kind of functions in, in that kind of setting. But I, I also, my that is in my brain, I, I kind of have sort of some hesitancy around representation politics with specific, as a specific relates to pop culture. I, I believe pop culture is really important. I believe ent- entertainment industries are extremely important in the shaping of, of culture mm-hmm. but it's like you're trying to essentially improve a system that is designed to fuck you over basically right it's 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 a it's a power occurring system and so i kind of like on the one hand i get emotionally invested in parasite winning on the other hand there's a part of my brain where it's like this is not really the fight that you want the fight that you really want is to create alternative like systems of film production and distribution and and serving different audiences like so i don't know i grew i didn't grow up in the states so I, I grew up in malaysia um, and I, I'm a I'm, you know Ch- Chinese by ethnicity, and we got a ton of like films coming in from Hong Kong at the time. It's like it was that was never really an issue for <laughs> representation. Wasn't ever really an issue for for myself growing up in uh, it, where I was a minority in that country in Malaysia. So it, there's a there's a little bit of layers and layers and layers here, but that's kind of my complicated way to think about this. Yeah, because I was looking at an article that was written about you. You you studied what film history when you were in college? Is that right? Yeah, uh, I I put in a couple of credits. I I went to university thinking that I was going to major in film and try to have a take a crack at the film business. But very very quickly, I, <laughs> I understood I needed more economic power than I had as a right. as a foreign person to to be able to even try. So, uh, and that's certainly more important than just seeing yourself on screen is having the money, having the power, having the system in place that could let lots of people tell their stories. Exactly, exactly. It's sort of representation is a nice cherry on top. There's there's a whole bunch of other sort of systems that require a little bit more interrogation and challenge. So uh, once it's safe to go back to movie theaters what what's the movie you're most excited you would be most excited to see in a theater i can give you any number of pretentious answers but the real answer is uh fast saga uh <laughs> fast and furious <laughs> nine come on like that's 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 made for for me <laughs> i'm getting ready to watch through it for the first time ahead of fast nine coming out you, you so. have never seen fast and furious movies i've seen the first movie yeah only the first movie and i i follow aaron scafe on twitter who has very strong opinions about the the franchise and she says that apparently the mark Wahlberg remake of the italian job is canon in the fast and the furious universe <laughs> uh so i've seen that one so so technically i guess i've seen two of these uh movies. yeah i mean charlie theron is in, is in both fred uh, movie universes i guess so <laughs> I, I guess if i count uh no yeah you're you're missing out dude like the first fast and furious is an okay movie uh-huh everything else is um it's a collective work of art <laughs> I, I will i will watch them and i will get back to you i'll let you know what i think fantastic well that was justin Cheng, who's on twitter at justin c Cheng. It's Final Friday. Let's move on to Nick's next follow. Nick, I asked you for someone you just started following, and you said MXM Tune, who's a singer and a songwriter. You can find her on YouTube at youtube.com slash MXMTOON. So talk about MXM Tune and how you started following her. This is kind of a, uh, slightly like a meta pick because I find her fascinating as like an early career sort of artist, an early career creator. I think the context here is I'm 32. I'm a little bit of getting there in terms of age, and I have no understanding of like very little understanding of, of the generation that's coming after us. Right, <laughs> <laughs> having done some reporting around the influencer space, some reporting around the sort of like uh, YouTube space, and just sort of thinking about those systems, there's a way in which career opportunities and cre- creative opportunities just function very differently for for people who are 16, 17, 18, 19, even younger, maybe slightly older. That that sort of age group. They're coming up through the system. And 
So MXM Tune primarily, I suppose, is known as, uh, as a singer-songwriter. She, I think, came out through YouTube. I think she had like a couple of like classic, like, plays a cover of a ukulele, gets a ton of uh, uh, like attention, and then sort of is able to sort of leverage that into further opportunities. But she's also kind of very firmly like a digital first creator in, in many other respects. She She's a Twitch streamer. She does this podcast where she, it's a daily podcast. I think, I believe it's with Spotify, where she's kind of treating it the same way that Casey Neistat used to treat vlogging, except with a bit of a twist, right? Uh, every day there's a new episode. Every day that's a slight historical like factoid that she kind of unpacks or, or does stuff. Like personal history, like something about her? Sometimes the personal history, sometimes it's, it's general history, sometimes it's more specific history. It's like, it's it's whatever. It's just like, it's presence and content, right? Um, just the, the nature of like just being engaged and present uh, as a creator online for their community to sort of like wrap around. And so I find how she sort of is kind of moving forward in that stage of her career really fascinating to watch. And I, I believe I encountered her first because of that Spotify uh, like project. I was like, oh, this is, this is kind of interesting. I think I've heard like one or two of her songs before by that point. And then I believe I started like when I was kind of poking around Twitch a couple of months after that, sort of spotted her doing stuff on Twitch as well. And I was like, that that is, I think, just interesting because I'm doing more labor reporting, honestly, around sort of what it means to be a creative person and, and have a job in podcasting and, and in these various media industries. And there's a way in which my brain kind of goes like, okay, that's that's one model of functioning. And then there's this whole other model that's happening in the generation after us where work is like basically the air that they breathe, like everything that they do is, sort of like, is, is in some field of public sphere. And I think she's kind of an interesting example of that. I believe she's doing some music for like an upcoming video game as well. I, I, there's just like all, all manner of things. And, and I go like, this is a kind of celebrity that feels a little bit different to me. She's not just doing one thing. She's not just picking one lane and sticking to it, but she is doing the vlogging thing. She's doing Twitch. She's doing YouTube. She, she's really exploring a lot of different creative outlets. Does that seem right? Yeah, I mean, the term used these days is like creator, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I use that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I use it too with some reservations because like it's, it's a squishy term. It's not particularly specific, but it's also intentionally kind of amorphous, right? It covers a ton of different kinds of people making stuff. And so I think she, in my mind, like very firmly sits in that space uh, in all its sort of like squishy complexity. Yeah, I, I use the term creator, but I hate the term content creator. I hate p- calling, you know, podcasts or newsletters or whatever content that just icks me out. But <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a losing battle I'm fighting. <laughs> yeah, I, I get it. I think I, I felt that way before, uh, but like I, I have sort of shifted in my sort of orientation fairly recently. Of like, well, some some battles you're not going to win. Like it's just it's yeah. just <laughs> the world in capitalism. You just kind of have to kind of deal with it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so you mentioned that she's on Twitch. That MXM Tune is on Twitch, and uh, I realized when I was looking at uh, her YouTube page that I've seen a clip of her from from Twitch because she was one of the streamers who played the video game Among Us yeah, with, with Ilhan Omar and AOC, yeah. And she went viral for her reactions during the game. Do, do you know the, the clip I'm talking about? Yeah, when she got uh, she got off the bios herself. Yeah, yeah. Well, in, <laughs> so in, in Among Us, there's like you're on a spaceship with these other kind of cartoony, blobby characters, and some of them are imposters. They 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 are they are like evil, secretly evil, trying to sabotage a mission. And so, in this game that she was streaming on Twitch, uh, AOC was the imposter and killed her. <laughs> and so, MXM Tune. Uh, just shrieks in delight that AOC killed her. <laughs> it's, I, I'm going to try and play a clip of it here. It's it's a little bit hard to hear just because she is so excited. <laughs> AOC 
<gasps> electrical, I think that's where I was. Oh my god. Yep. So have you played uh have you played Among Us? Do you, do you do you can you relate to this enthusiasm? Uh I've played it a couple of times. I'm not I I'm I'm not like a huge gamer. Uh, yeah. but like I'm I'm interested insofar as like it's a pop culture object. But uh Among Us, my understanding, whenever I do play it, it's like it reminds me of drinking a, a bunch of beers, shooting a shit, and like playing a bunch of board games. Like that's that's you know the kind of cozy vibe that uh, it gets. And also when people off each other, things get heated, and that's that that's the good stuff. Definitely. So out of her the the music work she's done, I mean, you, you said you said that you've just started following her, but do you have any um, I don't know favorite songs that she's done, or favorite thing you've seen that that she's that she's made? Well, uh, she actually she just put out a cover of "Creep," um, that that sort of classic radio, radio song. Hit. Yeah, which is you know I, I think everybody <laughs> should uh, you know have some sort of rites of passage to cover that song. To, to be perfectly honest, I don't care if it hurts. I wanna have control. I want a perfect body. Okay, this is a whole separate other conversation, but like I'm, I'm interested and fascinated by sort of where the state of like female singer songwriters is going. Mm-hmm. Like the, it, it seems to be going very much in her direction of the, of the sound that she has, and so like creep that cover that she did was like ah yeah this this feels like it's a it's a it's very much in this uh, arena of uh, of this genre that that's that's playing out right now. All right, that was MXM Tune, who's on YouTube at youtube.com slash MXMTOON. We're going to take a quick break now. We'll be back in a minute with Nick Kwa from Hot Pod. Hey, one thing before we get back to Nick. If you have a minute, please go to lovethepodcast.com slash followfriday and leave us a rating or a review. When you do that, you will help convince other people who are looking for a new podcast that this one is worth their time. So I want to thank Yoichi for leaving a review this week on Podchaser. Yoichi says, I love, love the diversity of guests Eric has on the show. This is key for our recommendation show and is done right here. All the stars. So be like Yoichi, go to lovethepodcast.com slash follow Friday. Follow Friday. Welcome back to Follow Friday. Nick, I asked you to name someone who has stopped posting but needs to come back. And you said Danny Chow, who's on Twitter at Danny Chow, D-A-N-N-Y-C-H-A-U. So talk a bit about Danny's work and specifically what he's he stopped posting that you miss. Okay, this is a bit of a cheat, and I think it might be a bit of a misnomer because I ju- I was looking at his Twitter handle uh, earlier this morning. Turns out that he posted a, a, an article fairly recently. <laughs> but at the same time, um, so Danny, um, he uh, kind of a longtime writer affiliated with um, Bill Simmons's like various media operations. He was a writer Grand at Land, Groundland, and yeah, and then and then mo- most recently he was a writer at The Ringer. Uh, and I really uh, first came to his work through his food writing. Hmm. He had this. Um, column called chow down <laughs> good name after his last name obviously i read a lot of food writing i read a lot of food criticism uh, i'm pretty interested in food uh, as a concept and as a, a subject that people write about I'm, I'm fascinated by the notion of trying to articulate uh, flavors um and and that kind of sensorial experience and danny i think he is such an interesting and lovely writer he does that thing where it's kind of a little bit gonzo 
it's very much runs through his perspective. It's very much runs through his sort of emotional interior reality. And that comes across with his food writing, uh, which, you know, does the, the thing that you want from really good food writing, which is co- combine a little bit of anthropology, a little bit of sort of awareness about the space and all the systems and context that went into the creation of food, the creation of restaurant, the creation of a chef. But he does it with such a gentle kind of empathy. Um, and he is... He's sort of like a man of taste. Like I, I follow him on Twitter. I follow his writing uh, in, in terms of like he covers basketball as well. He's uh, over over the course of me following his work has become a fan of the Toronto Raptors, which is I, it's such an interesting for anybody who like is not from a place to have to be a fan of that city's team. Uh, and I, yeah, there's just the, there's just the way that he kind of um, is grounded in in the pleasures of the things that he's writing about and thinking about that I envy tremendously from a sort of creative perspective. Well, first I'll say on the food front, I was looking at his Instagram and he hasn't been posting much there recently, but just some incredible food porn pictures there. I recommend people <laughs> check that out. I should say, I, I don't know him personally, and I know that he left the ringer you know, a couple months back, maybe a year back now, and he hasn't sort of done very much work uh, aside from a recent piece about, I, I believe, general managers, if not mistaken. And I, I miss his writing. I just, I, I don't know where he is. I don't know what he's up to, but I hope he writes more. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you about his sports writing. I mean, you, you talked a bit about what makes his food writing special. But as someone who, I, I think I think by following you, that's like a generous portion of the amount of sports, you know, uh, content that I get <laughs> in my Twitter. But what is it that makes a good sports writer for you? Like, what is it about Danny's writing or other folks like him that makes you really invested in how they write about sports, makes you care? That's a good question. Uh, okay, I, I'll, I'll try to answer it in three different layers here because they're all kind of interconnected in ways that kind of make sense to me. On a very, very broad level, my general understanding is that like any subject that becomes a beat, right? any subject that gets written about a ton, the job of the individual sort of writer within that beat is to find your way into it, to, find, to, to perform functions, but also to find your place in the universe. How to stand out. Yeah. yeah, not just stand out, but like to to sort of not be, not be, what's the word? Not be generic, not be vacant, just just to be a person, to be sort of actualized within the beat, right? That, that's sort of like an interesting thing. Same thing with like film writers, like how do you how do you become a film critic in an age where everybody has a, can put out a take online, that kind of thing. And so with sports in particular, as a big sports fan, like, yeah, I want coverage and uh, sort of a bit more sort of data and information points about like the latest trade, how that affects the, the power dynamic in a given league. Well, how does it affect the chances of, of an individual team uh, up or down, that kind of thing. But what Danny does, and I think what a collection of writers that come through The Ringer and, you know, Defector to some extent, and, you know, a couple of other sort of sports blogs uh, on the SB Nation universe, maybe a bit earlier in, in that track, is that like to really sort of hit on the sort of the, almost this near mythological aspects of, <laughs> of, of these teams, right? You know, on the face of it, it is ridiculous to import any sort of grand importance to what is essentially a game, even though personally I, I believe that games are extremely important to mm-hmm. a way society kind of functions and a way to think about themselves. But like to really lean into the, um, the sort of like grand narrative and, and, myth- and the mythological sort of like threads and tales of like an individual player's plight or how they fit into a system, or how they're coming to be. Like, I, I love that shit. I feel like it is the one sort of context in which these narratives can come out the least problematically in many ways. Like, hmm. you know, I like reading sort of profiles about politicians, but like, I hate the fact that a lot of the sort of profiles in, in of themselves are 
uh, valorizing because like, right. you know, politicians have a high <laughs> likelihood of having their actions f- real people over. And sure, you know, as an outcome of a sports game can lead uh, some huge better to lose their life savings, but that's not really, that's not really what that's we're talking about here. Yeah. yeah, it's like, it's still a space for grand emotions and, and I look for grand emotions in, in my sports writing, which Danny, I think in particular has is done in a way that kind of really kind of plays around with my like it hits my my sweet spots like it, it's not fully bought in to any individual mythos but it is emotionally resonant with like it understands the emotion of the mythos and and i and i like that kind of that that sort of layer if that makes sense yeah it does i mean you you summed it up perfectly and i i do think like as someone who's not personally a huge sports fan, I still think that writing about sports must be one of the hardest beats to cover, just for the exactly the reasons you're talking about, about you know making it your own and, and really saying something original and, and capturing the whole breadth of it all. It, it's, so, it's so impressive to see a writer like Danny out there, you know, doing the, doing his thing. Yeah, I should say there are, there are many, many sports writers doing doing amazing work out there, uh, but uh, it's so, such a saturated profession. It, it's extremely hard to get to breakthrough. That was Danny Chow, who's on Twitter at Danny Chow, D-A-N-N-Y-C-H-A-U. It's Final Friday. We have time for one more follow today. Nick, I asked you for someone who's an expert in a very specific niche that you love. You said Stephen Hilger and Brendan Bigley, who host a video game podcast called Into the Aether. They describe themselves as a pleasant, low-key podcast, but explain Into the Aether and why you love Stephen and Brendan's work. Yeah, uh, this one's just a bit of a gimme because like I've been <laughs> just plowing through the archives recently. Uh, I think I, I've, I bumped into the show maybe over the over the holidays, Christmas holidays, and I was like, "Wow, there's something about this sort of banter and what they're doing in the show that is just kind of uh, hitting hitting me in a sweet spot right now." Context here being, uh, I don't play a ton of video games. Uh, I'm again, I sort of it's one of those things where like I'm much more interested to hear somebody talk about it and. And I love reading about it, uh, especially when it's, it's written about well. I watch a ton of YouTube video essays on it because I just I, I like that genre of of YouTube uh, video. But the thing that I've, I, I've always been sort of fascinated with video game critics, and, and I know that it's a bit of a politically contested and, and a bit of a sensitive genre of, of of writer and creator. Sure. But like there are kind of hype people in in the video game sort of media space and, and critic space and then there are people who sort of really want to sort of dissect stuff and the dissecting almost always comes down to the molecular kind of mechanic level how does this product function what are the how are there ways in which like you interact with the world that that's within that game or how does it feel to jump or to fire a gun or to swing through new york as spider-man stuff like that not just that right but also like how does the game work how does the rules of the game work and, right. and the sort of dynamic of the game work i think there was a couple of years ago where i was like mildly interested in the way that board games were designed because i don't i don't know how to explain it but it's like it you're essentially trying to create a formula that's able to drive certain outcomes and it's really hard to describe that with, when you're within the frame of the game itself. Like, it's a little bit like trying to explain your, your place in, in, <laughs> in an economic system, right? Like, like, you know how buying a product works, but you don't really know how all the things that let you to buy that product mm-hmm. kind of functions, right? And that metaphor really kind of works for me when I'm thinking about the way video game critics kind of talk and think about the way that games are constructed. And in today's in particular, and, and Hilger and Bigley in particular, they have such like weird tastes. They're like often drawn to retro stuff, it's, which is a very, very sort of really interesting subculture to me. They're, they're interested in kind of weirder 
you know, games in particular. Again, most of the time, like I have no familiarity of any of those products or or have any intent of picking them up and playing it. But it's I I have such a good time just listening to them talk about like the very very specific mechanics and hmm. how it makes them think and how it makes them feel even if the game you're never going to play it's still as interesting to hear them talk about it specifically yeah and and to sort of zoom back out on that is that i have that relationship with many 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 different kinds of podcasts one of the my sort of favorite things to do is to pick up a chat show about set in a subject that i know absolutely nothing about hmm. and just listen to people kind of go at it and um, sometimes it leads me to becoming a part of that world other times it doesn't happen but you know, this is one of those examples where, like, I've, I've I listen to a ton of game podcasts in and out, like, you know, off and on, mm-hmm. and, but mostly because I'm just interested in what's happening in those worlds and I'm interested in happening what's happening in those products that they're playing, and and occasionally, like, I'm interested in what's happening in the podcasters' lives. Uh, and you know, in today, my understanding is a pretty small show. Uh, my understanding it's a side project. Uh, it's it's just two good friends wanting to do stuff and kick around and, and kind of have a, a, a formatted way to talk to each other and, and nerd out. And I know people like to make fun of that format of podcast, like a bunch of dudes sitting around talking, a bunch of people sitting around talking microphones. I, that's that's snobbishness to me because it's one of the most beautiful things in the world is listening to people kind of talk about something that they like. It, it, it feels really good. Yeah, it feels, it feels really good. Yeah, I um, the closest thing to what you're describing is a podcast I listen to called Spiritual Successor. Do you know that one? No, I don't. I don't believe so. The podcast itself is a spiritual successor to an old Polygon podcast called Cool Games Inc., where it's two like funny people just improvising video games that should not exist. Um, <laughs> and it, it's just, it, I, even though I don't play anywhere near as much games as I used to, um, it's just really fun to hear people who are really passionate about games try and just like design a game from scratch, just from some ridiculous prompt. Um, so that's something I, I if, you, if you have room in your, in your queue for, for yet another video game chat show, you know. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I might squeeze that in. I, by the way, like, I, I, see, I feel like chat shows make up like more than half of my own my listening time. Yeah. It's it's um it's it is a real sort of like lingua franca of the space, I think. All right, that was Stephen Hilger and Brendan Bigley. They are the hosts of Into the Aether, which is a podcast. Nick, thank you so much for sharing your follows with us today. Before we go, let's make sure listeners know how to find you online. Where do you want them to follow you? Uh, well, you can find follow my writing on hotpodnews.com uh, or on Twitter uh, at nwquah. And you can find me on Twitter at HeyHeyESJ and this show on Twitter or Instagram at FollowFridayPod. The most important thing you can do to support the show is to tell a friend about it. And you don't need to post it on Twitter or Facebook or whatever if that's not your style. Just go to your favorite group chat or Discord or whatever you're in and tell them, hey, I really like this show. And make sure to send them the link, FollowFridayPodcast.com. Thank you. Follow Friday's theme music was written by me and performed by Yona Marie. Our show art was illustrated by Dodie Hermawan. Additional music by Starfrosh. That's all for this week. This is Eric Johnson reminding you to talk about people behind their backs. And when you do, say something nice. See you next Friday.